Welcome to a special edition of the Corliss Barfield podcast. My name is Ted Corliss. Today, we address the issues associated with the catastrophic collapse of the Champlin Tower South Building in Surfside, Florida. To date, we understand that there still remain more than 150 people who have not been located or identified, and the number of deaths as of this morning is at four, with the fear that many, many more are coming. To help our community understand the significance of this collapse and to explore opportunities where our contacts and associates can benefit from this investigation, we're bringing on the professionals that handle these kinds of matters. And we have the real benefit today of bringing on Byron Anderson, a professional engineer. Mr. Anderson is a principal engineer at a company called SEI Incorporated. Uh, not only does he have decades of experience as a structural engineer, uh, as a geotechnical engineer, but he also uh, teaches structural design to graduate students at USF. Uh, welcome, Mr. Anderson. Thank you. Good morning. How are you, Ted? Thank you. Very well. But let's just begin with a real simple question. It, it does look like that there, well, we know already there have been four deaths and a lot more are feared. What responsibilities would an engineer associated with this building have to those lives? Well, the paramount engineer, or the paramount responsibility that an engineer always has is to protect the life, safety, health, welfare, and property of the public. So we are, we are charged as engineers of putting the public's safety and welfare above everything else. We have to put that above our personal relationships with clients. We have to put that above uh, business relationships. We have to put that above profit. That is the number one thing that we're always thinking of as engineers is how are we and are we best protecting the general public? Now, you uh, have had an opportunity to look at the building plans for the Champlain Towers. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, information is just now being released, you know, hourly or daily. But are any observations that you can make about the plans for this building? Can you describe the nature of the construction and what you were looking for? Uh, sure. The, the nature of the construction is it's primarily a reinforced concrete superstructure with reinforced concrete columns and two-way flat plate slab construction with a concentration of reinforcement around the columns or the, or the shear zone of the slabs. And then those slabs and columns are supported on a deep foundation system or a pile foundation system uh, that is also incorporated with, with pile caps. So you may have multiple piles underneath one column uh, and the connection between those piles and the column would be a pile cap. Um, one of the things I would like to point out about uh, this building in particular, this, this time frame, is that there are several different paradigm shifts that have occurred in Florida and in Florida building codes and, and legislation throughout the years. One of those ironically occurred in 1981, in which a condo building 
not exactly like this, but a condo building similar to this was being constructed in Cocoa Beach. And that building during construction collapsed. And ultimately it was discovered that the reason that it collapsed was because of a lack of oversight and understanding of how the structural elements came together. So in light of that 1981 uh, collapse of this condo building under construction, they passed what is called a special inspector or a threshold inspection law. And what that means is that a building of a certain size, particularly a building that is over three stories, over 50 feet in height, or has an assembly occupancy of greater than 500 people, is required to not only be inspected by the authority having jurisdiction or the building department, but also it has to be inspected by a design professional being a licensed engineer, professional engineer or an architect that has a specific designation as a special inspector, uh, which I and my, my other engineers in my firm have that special designation. But what it means is that again, because of the high risk for the potential loss of life for these larger buildings, then in addition to the authority having jurisdiction uh, performing inspections, you also have this special inspector that is performing inspections of the structural elements to make sure that they are constructed in accordance with the plan. Um, other paradigm shifts that have occurred in Florida would be Hurricane Andrew in 1992, uh, which uh, caused us to have a, a better understanding of the construction of smaller structures not necessarily of larger structures, but smaller structures and a better understanding of, of how wind loads affect those uh, smaller structures. And I suspect or, you know, that this will be another paradigm shift. And I think that the paradigm shift that may come out of this event is the need for more robust and regular inspections of buildings of this type. You know, you and, you and I talked earlier about the, the construction of this building. This uh, building is constructed with reinforced concrete, and it's located right on the shores of uh, the Atlantic Ocean and, and Miami Beach area. And it's about 40 years older or so at this point. And these constructed buildings... In, was it constructed in 1981? 1981, that's correct. Right, right. Um, and so these buildings, they're subjected to uh, salt spray and salt water uh, that's coming in off of the Gulf. And why is it, but let me interrupt you for a second. But sure. why, why is it that salt water can be just so devastating to a building like this? Well, what happens is that the, this building again is constructed with reinforced concrete and reinforced concrete is a, a combination of two different structural elements. It's the steel reinforcement uh, and the, the concrete itself. The steel reinforcement provides tensile strength to the uh, reinforced concrete element, and the concrete itself provides compressive strength, but also provides protection to the reinforcement from corrosion. So it, it encases the reinforcement, thereby protecting it from corroding. What happens oftentimes is, is that there is insufficient cover 
or not enough concrete over top of the reinforcement. And over time, the chlorides from the saltwater environment make their way down to the reinforcement combined with moisture and oxygen, and it causes the reinforcements to start to corrode. Corrosion is an electronic process. Well, just like if we were going to make a, 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 a potato fan or a potato light, you know, we're, we're, we're sticking in a positive and a negative electrodes into one side and making a connection. Well, if you stick those into salt water, you're going to get a better electrical connection than if you stick them into plain water. And so that's the reason the chlorides and the, the saltwater environment are more detrimental to the reinforced concrete element. And let me follow up with that uh, just one second is what I said before is that the, the concrete is encasing the reinforcement and protecting it. Once the constituents for corrosion make their way down to that reinforcement and the reinforcement starts to corrode, it starts to expand. Um, we've all seen corroded metal, you know, at the, at a seawall or something where it's two or three Rusted. times bigger than it was originally. Well, it can actually expand up to six times its original volume. And what's happening is that, that expansion is causing internal st stresses in the concrete. The concrete is good in compression. It's bad in tension. Those internal, those internal stresses are causing tension inside of that concrete and eventually that expansion of the, of the reinforcement is gonna cause the concrete to crack. And as soon as it cracks, well, now you have a direct path for those chlorides and water and oxygen to get in. Which then just starts accelerating, accelerating it. Right. The, the, the process. Um, and so going back to what we were talking about earlier, the changes that I believe will come out of this is that I think that we will have a more robust inspection program for buildings that are, I don't even think you need to wait 40 years. I think you should be looking at buildings every five years or less. Are you saying um, those buildings that are in the exposure of that salt spray, or are you talking about, what about a condominium, 25 story condominium in Kissimmee that isn't necessarily uh, on the Gulf? Well, or on the coast. I, I do think you still need to inspect those buildings, but I don't think they need to be inspected at the same interval as the buildings that would be on, you know, the, the either the intercoastal waterway or the, the Gulf or the Atlantic uh, itself. Yeah, I understand. Now, you've had an opportunity to review the report that came out in 2018 uh, on the Champlain, Champlain South Tower. Uh, any observations that you'd want to make about like, what were they, what was the purpose of that inspection? inspection? Well, the, as you drive up and down A1A or Gulf Boulevard, depending on which coast you're on, um, you oftentimes will see these older buildings are undergoing concrete restoration work. And the process of concrete restoration typically starts with an inspection like the one that was done in 2018 or a condition assessment of the building in which the engineer is uh, looking at the building, looking at what's going on with the building associated with uh, repairs that may be necessary. Oftentimes when we do this type of inspection, we kind of grade the repairs that are necessary into like critical 
you know, something you have to do right away um, or uh, something that can be done in the near future or something that needs to be done as part of a routine maintenance program. You know, obviously these condominium structures have associations and budgets and reserves and all these things that they have to, to deal with and, and no association wants to undergo special assessments to their residents to, to make repairs to a building. So whenever we're investigating, we're trying to look at it and say, okay, these are critical elements that you have to do now. I don't care if you have to specially assess your, your, your residents, those repairs have to be done now, or it's something that you need to put it into a maintenance cycle and you need to, uh, you know, increase your, your annual budget so that you can, uh, make sure that you have money available to make this repair in, in three to five years from now. Um, so to me, that 2018 report is just that it was step one, kind of the, the condition assessment. I also understand that following that condition assessment, the engineer that did that also had put together a set of repair drawings associated with the, with the building, which again would be common for this type of structure. And they were in the process of interviewing uh, contractors so that they could get bids to perform the, the restoration work. Um, you know, I think, the, I think the, the key thing that I would like people to understand is that when engineers go out and inspect a property or, or otherwise look at a property and they see a condition in which they deem to be critical or dangerous, that people should take note of that. Uh, you know, the, the collapse like this should never happen in modern time. It should never happen in the United States of America. I mean, that's something that we may see happen, you know, in some third world country as the result of an earthquake. But, you know, we're talking about, to my knowledge, there was no extreme environmental conditions occurring at the property at the time of the collapse, meaning, it wasn't during a tropical storm or a hurricane. It wasn't during a hur uh, wasn't during an earthquake. There's no indication of a of an explosion occurring, and so the building just shouldn't collapse like that. And there were certainly signs of trouble that, that there was trouble brewing prior to this. And I think that it's important that if an engineer or or another professional says there's a problem here i think people need to to heed that and they need to to act accordingly and not just push that brush that person or that engineer's opinion aside you know what i think this the the idea that i deal with so regularly that, I, that I, the idea that i try to get across to insurance companies is the element of time and that is we have so many matters where we represent uh, a multi-unit building association or a large condominium development or homeowners association, we all know that there's an issue. It's just that we're arguing with the insurance company over the scope of the repairs. Unfortunately, by not accepting wholeheartedly without pushing back the recommendations that may be made by an insurance company's engineer or contractor, we, we need to move faster. You know, we, we should be able to object and say, you haven't gone far enough. The building is in a dangerous state or it very well could be in the near future. Yet these 
claims will take insurance companies several months and many times years after they're aware of a problem. And I just hope that maybe one positive thing that would come out of this is that the insurance representatives that are working on projects that are, are similar to this one or have similar issues will we'll, we'll take the element of time and, and move faster. Great. Yeah. Now, uh, do you think that this is uh, foretelling a future of more and more of buildings collapsing like that, like this has? Um, well, I certainly hope not. Um, I, I, what I, again, I'm going to go back to what we said a while ago. I think the lesson from this is that buildings of this type, really all buildings, they need to be inspected on a more regular basis. And the findings of those inspections need to be taken to heart. Um, and whenever an engineer makes recommendations that something needs to be repaired, then actions need to be taken in order to move towards repairing that. Or if a engineer says that it's a dangerous condition, temporary supports need to be added or the building needs to be vacated. All those things need to need to happen. Um, you know, there's certainly been cases in the past that I've been involved in, in which I've said something was a dangerous condition and I've lost a client because of that, because the right. client didn't want me to hear, didn't want me, didn't want to hear me say that something was a dangerous condition. Right. But at the end of the day, again, I, my duty is to protect the health welfare, safety, and property of the public. You know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about briefly is that from a structural engineering perspective, we really are, it's, it's a pretty simple concept. Everybody hears structural engineering, they think, oh my God, that's so complex. It's so full of math. It's just crazy. Oh, there's some math in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the math is really simple. It's, you have, uh, you have a less than or equal to sign. And on the left side of that, you have the loads that are applied to the building. Those loads are dead loads, which is the weight of building materials, the weight of the building itself. Live loads, which are the weight of the occupants of the building and their belongings. So people furniture, things like that. Those are all considered live loads. And then you have environmental loads. Uh, those environmental loads are in particular in Florida, our biggest environmental load we're concerned about is wind, but we also have flood loads uh, in other parts of the country. You're also concerned about earthquake loads. You know, these are, these are in the environmental forces that are acting on the building. So on the left side of the equation, we have those environmental live loads and dead loads and we combine those all together and then on the right side of the equation is the resistance to loads and that resistance comes from the geometry of the structure and the material associated with the structure so the basic concept of structural engineering is to make sure that the right side of the equation is greater than the left side of the equation with an acceptable level of safety so the, the building code defines that acceptable level of safety. That's structural engineering in a nutshell. Um, 
and combined with that from a structural engineering perspective and a design perspective, we are designing not only to prevent collapse of a building, but also we're designing in the event that there is a structural overload that occurs, that the failure of the structure will be ductile or slow in nature and not brittle or sudden in nature. Which and is what, what we had here. Which is right. what we had here is a, is right. a brittle, sudden failure of the structure. Now, there may have been telltale signs of ductile failure that was occurring that were not heated that ultimately led to this brittle failure or sudden failure of the structure. And we just, at this point, we don't know. Uh, they, you know, it's not been published other than this 2018 report. And I believe there was also a report that was issued in 2020 by another engineering firm addressing at least portions of these structures. Well, there's, there's a couple different theories uh, that uh, are, are floating out there. And it's likely going to be that there's a combination of some of these theories. Um, you know, one of the theories is there's been a long-term settlement related issue with the building, that the building is, is settling uh, differentially causing damage. Another theory being that there's again, 40 year old reinforced concrete that is in need of repair because there is a degradation of the reinforcing steel. Uh, and then also we know that there was a construction next door that started a few years ago and, and has been ongoing. And anytime you have construction on a neighboring property, well, that's the time to have a, an, an enhanced inspection and observation period of, of your building if there's something being constructed next door because those neighboring construction activities can certainly have the tendency to cause damage to, to your property. Understand. The, the next steps with this building, my understanding is that of the 136 units, I believe 55 of them are essentially gone. What do you do with the rest of the building? Well, the re rest of the building is going to have to be demolished um, for sure. You know, it's, first of all, you know, it, it breaks my heart to think of all of the lives that have been lost here and all the, the family members, many of them probably will never even have the opportunity for a, for a proper burial uh, for these people. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be reminiscent on a much smaller scale to 911 where there's going to be some people that just are never going to be recovered. Um, you know, and, and the, the building, the remainder of the building is going to have to be demolished. Um, at the end of the day, someone like myself or, or another structural engineering, likely a team of structural engineers is going to want to be involved in uh, the process of investigating investigation and demolish and demolition of the rest of the building because at the end of the day until you go out there and collect some additional facts you're just speculating what the what the cause of the damage was and at the end of the day we need to know why this building collapsed for several different reasons um, one of them being so that we can learn from this collapse. Again, as I said before, 
there's been paradigm shifts in in building codes uh, in Florida and throughout the country. And those paradigm shifts come from an understanding of exactly why failures occur. So, you know, the, the I kind of gave you the basic understanding of structural engineering from a, from a load and a resistance perspective. I would say uh, canon number two for structural engineering is understanding failure and, and designing so that failure doesn't occur again. You know, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I do a, a talk for elementary school kids about what structural engineering is. And I start by, I start by taking a pencil and breaking the pencil. And part of structural engineering hey, that was my is, pencil. <laughs> part of structural engineering is understanding at what point that pencil is going to break and, and to to be able to mathematically calculate the, at what point and what force the pencil is going to break so that you can understand what the stresses are that are, are occurring internally. And then you can extrapolate that into a, a myriad of other uh, uh, dimensions and sizes and, and everything else. So to answer your question, we need to know what happened so that we can try to prevent it from happening again. Um, you know, and, and, and the other side of that as well, you know, something that I, I wanted to make sure that we talked about here today is that as structural engineers and as code officials and building officials and, and, and researchers that work on building codes, we're basing everything that we know off of historical events. So for instance, you know, if we, if we were to design this building for wind loads, we would design it for, you know, potentially 180 mile an hour wind load. Well, that's based on historical accounts and historical records. My concern from a structural engineer is that as sea levels rise, which we know that sea level rise is a big deal in, in the Miami, Florida area, um, as sea levels rise, as the climate changes, as things heat, heat up, that our models that we've based our designs on may lo no longer be accurate. And what we may end up with is that a lot of modern buildings that aren't capable of resisting the new world order and the new environmental forces that are being uh, shed upon them because of climate change. Well, I think uh, these are good lessons for us to consider with the hope that they are picked up by the appropriate people. Reaching out to those uh, members of boards of directors for various multi-unit properties uh, who work very hard at what they do. Uh, they are, most of the boards that we deal with and I know you deal with are typically volunteer lay boards, which means they're on the board not because of they have a particular specialized knowledge of construction materials or structural engineering, but more so because they have a commitment to their community to work collectively to act in the, the greater good of everyone who lives or is visiting those particular properties. I, I really appreciate your comments and your, your testimony today about that and it would encourage those associations out there that have a building that is older than say 25 or 30 years 
to have a conversation about this, not necessarily run out and hire engineers to examine your property as much as let's keep this on our radar so that uh, those properties don't end up like this one did. Uh, Byron, I really appreciate uh, you coming in today to chat about these things. Uh, again, uh, Byron Anderson, uh, principal engineer with the firm SEI Inc. Uh, brings tremendous amount of experience working with uh, property. These works with builders, works with insurance companies, works with insureds who have disputes with insurance companies, those kinds of things. So a great resource for those. And, and SEI is uh, Structural Engineering and Inspections Incorporated. So very good. All right. Name out there. All right. Good. Good stuff. All right, Mr. Anderson. Thank you so much. You've thank got you, Ted, to. And, um, and let's pleasure. let's say a prayer for those people that are missing out there. We'll we'll absolutely do that. We appreciate your time watching our our podcast and video cast, and we'll continue to publish uh, information about this loss as well as those things that are of importance to uh, property managers, associations, and others that live in these kinds of communities. My name is Ted Corliss. Be well.